name's Ima. I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I was really nervous about this. I sat down today and I was writing out like a list of um, like really important things that I wanted to share in my story and like two bullet points in, I was like, this is too fucking much. It's like, I'm just gonna, just gonna talk. Um, and so what I like to do is I like to do 15 minutes of like how it was, what happened, and then, uh, you know, what it's like now. And so, uh, you know, there was a lot that I used to drink and use over. Um, I grew up in a really abusive family. My parents were addicts. Uh, my parents were alcoholics. I kind of bounced around to some foster care, uh, you know, like I can pretty vividly remember the first time I thought my dad killed my mom. Um, and uh, there was a lot to that, um, kind of like me holding on to that story for so long. Um, there, uh, when I was 11, the first boy I ever loved uh, ended up killing himself. He. Uh, called me and I didn't answer. I did answer. I hung up the phone on him. And so I used that for a long time. Um, and, you know, between that and my parents, it was really difficult growing up. Um, when I, I don't remember my first drink. I know a lot of people remember their first drink. I don't really remember my first drink. I was just kind of like not drinking. And then all of a sudden I started drinking and it just became what I did. And I think I started around probably like 13 um my parents got a divorce at 14 and it was the greatest thing that had ever happened in my entire life uh suddenly my dad who was uh very physically uh and emotionally abusive was not gone but i had to i saw him a lot less um there were a couple times like he would stalk my mom after and he kidnapped me and threw me out of a vehicle once and drove off with my little sister. And so it was still like really rocky, um, especially since my mom was kind of getting into more drugs at that time too. And so I was kind of having to take care of myself and I was having to take care of my little sister at the same time. And so I grew up really fast. Um, I was stealing food. I was you know, missing a lot of school. Um, and then I kind of got into drugs and that, uh, drugs and alcohol were the best escape that I could have ever found. And honestly, like it saved my life. And I've heard people say that. And I really, that resonates with me is that it was the only reason I didn't kill myself, you know, is because I had this escape. I was homeless for most of the time between 13 and 18 um, I lived on the streets. I lived with friends. I lived with boys. I, there was a, a, a park across the, the street from my high school that I would sleep in a lot with other homeless people. And uh, I actually thought it was really cool. You know, like I didn't have any rules. I didn't have anything I had to do. Um, at one point, there was this lady who was kind of like a pseudo foster parent for me and she kind of took me in and like when my mom went to jail she you know like took me in and like raised me basically with her own kids and that was really cool but she said something and she said uh something about how I wasn't she was scared I wasn't going to graduate high school and so I was like well I'll show you you know and so I started camping out in this park across the street from my high school and um, I missed a lot of school, but because CPS 
was around so often, I got a lot of like leniency. And so I kind of abused the system a little bit, you know, like I was able to really like scam it. (laughs) And so I did. And uh, I missed like 96 half and whole days my freshman year of high school, like 85, like 66. And then my senior year, after that lady told me that she didn't think I was going to graduate, she also told me she thought I was going to die before, you know, and uh, I was like, well, that's true. Um, And so I kind of like graduated high school to really just like stick it to her. So I missed 10 days my senior year of high school. And uh, that was pretty tight. I um, I remember talking to my friend. We were walking around, uh, and uh, it was kind of in between places. I had kind of, I think I had burned down this relationship with this one family I was staying with, and and, and her family wouldn't let me stay with them again because I, I don't remember something happened. Obviously my fault. And uh, so I was in between, and we were just kind of walking around. And I remember telling her, you know, I think I'm going to be a teenage drug addict. And I had like made that choice at like 16. I think that was right after my mom had abandoned me. She, uh, I was homeless and she had taken my sister and moved, uh, to North Dakota without me. She was like, you're basically an adult. Like, here's my keys. And she had like four days left on the lease at her apartment And she took off with my little sister and bailed and left me there. And uh, the apartment didn't even have electricity at the time. Um, It had like a mattress and she left me half a candle and a bottle of Mad Dog 2020, that blue flavor, that nasty shit. And so I was walking around and I told told my friend, I was like, I think I'm going to be a teenage drug addict. Like that sounded really romantic to me. And it was at the time. I was just like, fuck it, right? Um, and I, I started doing heroin and, uh, I found somebody in that apartment complex and I started doing heroin and, um, you know, that escalated really fast for me. I was kind of, you know, my alcoholic brain is like, well, as long as I'm not shooting myself up, I'm not going to, I'm going to be fine. Right. I'm not going to be an addict as long as I don't shoot myself up. So I just moved in with my drug dealer and ended up living with him. And that's kind of how I got around, um, you know, that, and then uh, there was a lot of abuse in that house. I, I lived there for under a year, but it was pretty gross. I mean, it was it was nasty. It was a, it was a drug it was a drug house, you know. And uh, a lot of abuse and a lot of trauma happened in that in that apartment. And um, at one point in time, I think it was a it was like uh, like two or three days before my 18th birthday this girl overdosed and died and I just kind of watched her and didn't do anything um and I remember sitting on this couch and um as these like tweakers are trying to figure out what they're gonna do with her because they weren't gonna call anybody and they weren't gonna take anybody and I was just sitting there watching because I was so strung out and uh I'm 17 years old I was a fucking child right and I remember thinking, if I don't stop, like, I'm going to fucking die. And where that had seemed like a romantic idea to me before, it suddenly became very real actually watching somebody my age die. I was like, oh, this isn't cute. Like, this isn't some, I'm not going to be this, like, famous writer or musician. I'm just going to die on this dude's couch. And uh, And so it really hit me. And so three days after my 18th birthday, I, my dad was going to see his family and I asked him for a ride 
and uh, I had just enough to get to North Dakota where my mom lived. She had uh, gotten clean in a trailer in Bismarck with our family. And so I was like, that's gonna work for me too. And so I caught a ride with him. We got into this big fight in Nebraska. And so I ended up hitchhiking from Nebraska to North Dakota um, by myself, at eight, barely 18 years old, you know, it was, it was rough and I got there and I detoxed, um, by myself. I didn't know that treatment was an option. I didn't know anything except that I, something had stronger than I was, greater than I was, had compelled me to get out of this dude's apartment and find something that was a way. So I did a, you know, a big geographical. It worked. I I got clean. I like shit my pants and like sweat and it was gross um for weeks. Like there was two really really hard weeks and um and I got clean and I started drinking a lot more. Like I had been drinking up to this point, but I started drinking more and um partying and you know it was i mean i had a lot of fun honestly like i there was one night i i got so hammered i walked into a trailer i fell asleep on the floor in the living room i woke up it wasn't my family it was some other family and they had made me breakfast and coffee and it's north dakota like they were just like oh this poor drunk girl in bismarck you know like so they they like you know it was cute it was cute at the time and then uh my 19th birthday i um i i my birthdays have always notoriously been like the the time when something happens that changes my life and so my 19th birthday i went out and partied you know and i had a good time i got really really drunk i drove my cadillac in bismarck the uh speed limits all 25 miles per hour so i was like driving my cadillac around like i found this party crashed it took this dude home i took all their liquor and a bunch of chips and i like went back to my apartment with this dude he got undressed and it uh she was a woman and i and i I slept with her anyways, and then I woke up the next morning, and I was like, man, if I can't tell the gender of the person I'm taking home, maybe I'm a little out of control with alcohol, too, and so I just quit. It just snapped, and I just, I was like, all right, like, I'm not gonna do this again, like, getting off, getting off drugs was so hard that I'm just gonna smoke weed, and that's gonna be that, and, <laughs> and so that, and I, and that worked, and that worked. I, uh, I moved back to... Um, I moved back to Houston uh, when I was 19, so I was in North Dakota for about a year and a half, and I moved back to Houston. Um, you know, I shacked up with this dude, I went, I got into college somehow, um, I was going for psychology because I was like that, self-knowledge, right, and that for me, I was like, I'm going to fix myself by knowing what's wrong, you know, and uh, I thought I was bipolar, I had been diagnosed with... Um, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, I had been prescribed haloperidol and other antipsychotics and like all of these medications, right, to fix these problems, I would have these uncontrollable panic attacks um, that, you know, for me, I was like, well, yeah, duh, like everything I've been through at this point, you know, all the times that I've been so close to dying, um, all of the pain that I've been through, I kept dating abusive men and like, 
abusive women too. Like I dated a lot of abusive people and I was just like this, there's nothing that will fix me. I am broken. And I, I don't know how many times I thought I am fucking broken. Um, and so I was on all these medications and, um, yeah. So 19, I hooked up with this guy from high school and we were taking a lot of painkillers and same shit. It's all the same. And, uh, he would like lock me in his apartment and not let me go. So I flunked out of school. I blamed him, uh, blamed myself. It was, it was really hard. Getting off of pills was really hard. It's like, I, I do everything to the max. And then I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. Right. I can't do this. I can't, I can't drink. I can't take pills. I can't do this. And, uh, you know, on my 21st birthday, I went, I drank, and uh, I drank for four days and I was like, oh, nothing has changed. I'm still, I'm still an alcoholic. I, I didn't want to be like my parents. Um, and that was a big motivator for me for a long time is just because they always drank and it was always fucking chaotic and it was always so painful. Um, there was not one moment of peace growing up except I mean there was one when the first time my mom ever heard me sing I was like oh that's she was so proud of me and it was like that was the only moment of peace I could think of growing up you know like I lived in a house where my dad would get hammered and lock me in a basement you know it was like it was really fucked up so I, it was a good motivator for me to not be like my parents um, so I drank for four days on my 21st birthday and I was like, oh, that's right. And it clicked again. And so I stopped. Um, I got arrested uh, two times within two weeks in two different counties for somebody else's weed. Um, and so I was on probation. I got really lucky being in Houston. Um, I got really lucky and I got off really easy. Um and so I was on probation for like seven months, so six months concurrent uh, in both counties. And so I couldn't smoke weed. I couldn't drink. I couldn't do anything. I still smoked fake weed and still did mushrooms and acid. Um, and, you know, like nothing was going to stop me from escaping all of this pain that I had built up. Um, and this story that I had clung to is my only identity. Um, and so... I, uh, so yeah, so I did that. I got off probation. They were like, you're awesome. And I was like, thanks. Um, and so, <laughs> um, I moved to Austin when I was 21 and I still wasn't drinking. Um, I didn't really drink. I fell into, I moved here for music. Uh, I fell into the film industry. I just, you know, like I realized that, you know, like this could be something that would save me and uh it i mean i feel like it did for a while um i got a movie funded uh by my drug dealer um and uh <laughs> you know like that's uh it's it was it was i had a really good time i had a couple like weird little mental breakdowns um there was one time for a couple months i barely left my bed um i put a lot of people through a lot of hell <laughs> Um, and you know, like for me, it, it was fine. And then my 25th birthday, I saw an ex, um, drinking and I was like, oh, I'm probably fine now. And so I started drinking again and I kind of didn't stop for like four and a half years. I started drinking every day. The first film company I was a part of fell apart. Um, 
I had my little mental breakdown and I was like, fuck that. Like I'm going to start another company. So I started a company, um, but I was just drinking nonstop all day, every day. And, uh, for a long time I was very functional with it. I did, I had a lot of shenanigans. I have a lot of really fun and interesting stories. Like I, you know, like I had a really good time and then it like wasn't fun anymore. Um, I was in another abusive relationship and, uh, like six months after we'd broken up, he was still abusive because he worked in my company. And so I kind of burned everything in my life to the ground and, uh, I sold everything I had and I met this dude off Tinder and I went and traveled national park to national park for a month with him and his girlfriend. And, uh, we drank the entire time. Uh, and it, I wish I could remember what happened, you know, like I wish that I could remember, all of those moments, um, I, I was thinking about it before, you know, like everything kind of felt, everything kind of feels like it's, uh, mushy in my brain. Like, I don't really remember a lot. Part of that I'm sure is like traumatic experiences. And a lot of it is because of drugs and alcohol, like all of these amazing things that I've done, I barely remember any of it. Um, that dude that, I started doing heroin with at one point, uh, I got a call that he had overdosed and died. And um, I was so mad that I couldn't kill him myself um, for, I don't know, I held on to that for a really long time. Like that had just become another story that I could like drink and use over. And that, uh, you know, and it was like one of those things that I would tell at bars. Um, you know, I have this really funny way of telling it, but ultimately it was something that brought me like a, a lot of pain. Um, and I kind of kept putting myself in these situations um, almost because, I mean, you know, like my story is just like everybody fucking else's, right? It's like I, I put myself in these positions and I put myself in these situations because at least I know what's going to happen if I'm in pain. You know, like I know... I know exactly what it feels like to cry at three o'clock in the morning at the, at the floor of the shower, you know, like I know what it's like, um, to just feel so alone. Um, and that, that, and I even wrote about it. Like, I, I want to say, oh, I didn't think it was comfortable at the time, but I, even then I had romanticized that, you know, I was very like, I'm a tortured artist. Like, this is who I am. Like, you know, like I'm supposed to drink whiskey and like have these flings and like push everyone away. Um, because how else am I going to have this fuel for my art? You know, like how else am I going to have this part of who I am? Um, and the alternative was really scary in the book. It says, you know, we are presented with the option of like either a spiritual, uh, toolkit or like death basically, right. Or insanity. And for me, I was like, Oh, give me that second one. You know, like I, I know what that, I know what happens there. Um, and I had given up, I had, um, I hadn't really tried to quit drinking because it had become so much part of who I was. Like I, would say, oh, I'm an alcoholic, and, like, that for me, I was, like, like, that's fine, um, that for me was, like, who I had become, and I had only been drinking again for, like, four years, um, and so it was really hard to think about any kind of existence where that was not part of my life anymore, um, <clears throat> and none of the art that I made was any good, um, <laughs> 
That movie I made um, will never get released. Uh, most of the songs I wrote are total trash. Um, everything that I wrote is very much just like fucking boring. It's all the same shit. It's just like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm miserable. I'm alone. And, uh, you know, like nothing was any good. I look back at that. Some, I look back at like any photos I took at the time and I could tell I was lazy, you know, like I just didn't care anymore. Like being an artist was like being an alcoholic. It's just, I couldn't do anything else. Um, I tried to work at some things. I ran away for a little while and traveled with a muralist and like a painter. Um, you know, like I ran away to Taos, New Mexico and I became a ski tech and I've never skied a day in my life. Um, but I used to fix people's skis and, uh, that, you know, like the, the whacked shit that I did, um, when I was so deep in it, you know, like my ex and I, we would just fight all the time. I had a, the first time we had sex, I had gotten pregnant and we had an abortion and cause we couldn't stop drinking him or I, like I tend to surround myself with people who drink and, you know, use like I do. And so we had decided like, there's no fucking way that we can have a kid. Um, I, I couldn't stop the night I found out I was pregnant. I went and spent $60 at a $2 shop bar, you know? Um, and he's puking in the living room, talking to demons or whatever the fuck he's doing. And I'm like in the bedroom and I'm just looking at the ceiling. Like there's no option for me. There's no option. I can't stop at this point. Um, and that, it, it, that broke me for a long time too. It was really, it was a very difficult experience for me. Um, I had gotten an IUD and my body had rejected it early on and I didn't know. And so I was sick for like nine months and I thought it was like karma. Um, and so I really just beat myself up really hard and I would take it out on him and we would just get drunk and fight and you know, he would leave and I would stand in the doorway and it's just like, it was really fucking sad. We were both just in a lot of pain. Um, and so I came back. He was smart and he abandoned me in Austin with some of my friends and was like, you guys got to take this bitch. Like, I can't handle. I would like chase him and shit. It was really bad. Um, I got back on medication because I ultimately, I alcohol stopped working. So I was like, oh, I need drugs. I need, you know. I got back on pills because I just, I wanted, you know, to stop being crazy, but two, I, alcohol just wasn't working anymore. Like I could still feel the pain even when I was drunk. And, uh, and so I started, uh, taking like sedatives and shit so that I was a cheaper date for a while. Um, I got some day jobs. I was waiting tables. Uh, I'd given up on art. Um, it was fucking miserable. I was, at that point, I was really sad, and I was just spending time with people who made me more sad. Um, and, like, I wasn't doing anything anymore. Like, I, I was sitting at home, and it was gross. I lived with a meth head, um, and he would, like, throw his body around the apartment, and we would, like, throw shit at each other, and it was, like, really bad. Um, you know, by the time... I, I hadn't even really tried to quit drinking at this point. I had just really um, resigned myself. And I my motto had become, today is as good of a day as any. And that was my motto, is I was not going to kill myself. Um, but if I died, it was fine. 
you know, like I just put myself in really dangerous situations. Um, and so I'd go to like Burning Man and people would be like, here, take this. And I was like, don't even tell me what it is. I don't care. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so adventures and whatnot. Um, but I was just really fucking miserable and it was really difficult. I couldn't sustain a relationship. I always wanted somebody to take care of me and nobody would ever take care of me right. Um, and like, I was really sad about my, how my parents were like, I haven't talked to my dad, but maybe two times in like, oh, I want to say like 16 years at this point, maybe. Um, and I, I see my mom like once every five or six years and I was always really holding onto the fact that they, um, didn't want me and they were never going to be good to me and nobody was ever going to take care of me because I wasn't worth it. And, um, yeah, it just, life got really, really dark for a while and I really felt worthless once I stopped creating anything meaningful, um, for me. And, uh, so what happened is I was always like, I'm not an alcohol, I'm not, I'm fine because I don't drink and drive. But what I didn't think about is I didn't have a car for 10 years. So I bought a car. <laughs> I started drinking and driving. <laughs> um, I, uh, I got, I was sitting at a stoplight one night and it was like, I had just, like, just stood up to this dude I was saying and I was like, no, I'm not going to see you anymore. And then I was all like, yeah, like I'm really empowered and shit. And like, uh, so I drove drunk from him and, um, I was stopped at a stoplight and I was feeling good about myself for like a second. I was like, yeah, like this is where my life changes. And, um, I got rear-ended by a drunk driver going about 60 miles an hour and, uh, you know, the accident was so bad. Um, you know, my windshield broke. Uh, he hit me from behind and the impact was, you know, really fucked up. And I had, you know, like my head was in just the right place. Um, and I got very, very lucky and nobody breathalyzed me, um, because I had been hit. And, uh, my friend later asked me, he's like, I'm like, what if you had been drinking that night? And I, I still could not bring myself to be like, I was, you know, like I had gotten to the point where my friends were starting to say something and, uh, I would take, I would have like two, maybe three drinks at the bar and, uh, just for appearances. And then I would go home and drink until I blacked out at home or until I, I never really blacked out, but I drank until I passed out at home because I couldn't sleep unless I was drunk. And, um, and so uh, that moment was the first moment when I was, it's like that moment when I was 18 and sitting on that couch, I had this, this idea. I was like, I'm going to die if I don't change something. If I don't stop drinking, I'm going to fucking die. And uh, it was the first time since I was 18 years or 17 years old that I didn't <clears throat> want to die. Um, I tried to quit drinking and uh, luckily I had only tried for about, I think it was like 21 days or something. Uh, I got really lucky. I had only tried to quit for less than a month and I couldn't. And I was at my friend's birthday party. And by this time, Joseph and I had not been talking. I was like, fuck this guy. Fuck everything about him. We had our own things. And uh, I hadn't been talking to him for six months. And uh, it was a mutual friend's birthday. And I had this this like intuitive idea came into my head and I asked my friend I was like did you invite Joe and she's like well no I didn't you, you know like you guys have your thing you hate him or whatever and I was like he should he has the right to be here uh and I texted and I was like are you coming to this birthday party and uh 
you know, I had started getting drunk and I, I played this really fun game where I would line up four shot glasses on the bar and then I would uh, get people to take them with me. And that way I wasn't drinking alone. And, uh, and so I would just keep filling these shot glasses and, uh, and, and so Joe shows up, this motherfucker is sober for six months. And I was like, what? the fuck like that's not it's kind of like uh in bill's story when ebby thatcher comes and uh you know he's sitting at the table and and bill's like oh finally i can you know drink like i used to and i was like oh joe's gonna come like (laughs) this is great like somebody who drinks like i do um and he was sober and he we were sitting outside and we were sitting around a fire and he said something like I'm a, I remember you said you wanted to quit drinking. Um, and I thought that was really funny because I don't remember ever saying that um, to anybody. Uh, and so he asked if I wanted to go to this group of weirdos, something about somebody's picking up like a year chip or some shit. And I was like, yeah, like, great. I didn't even, I don't even think it registered exactly what I was agreeing to. But something inside of me was like, yeah, I love, I fucking love weirdos. Like, let's go. <laughs> Slept through the meeting. I was so fucking hungover. Um, but the next day, I was taking shots with my roommate because I thought it was really, really funny and ironic that I was going to go to my first AA meeting drunk. Um, for some reason, that was a good idea to me. I was like, this is really fun. Um, and so I was like taking shots. My roommate's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. You should probably um, definitely go to that meeting. And I was like, yeah, dude, I am. I'm going. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it was just, that's some, you know, that's some fucking divine intervention shit is, uh, that those moments, how they lined up so perfectly and how everything kind of synchronized to be exactly what I needed when I needed it. Like that, that's fucking incredible. Like had it been a month, had her birthday been a month earlier, there's no way in hell I would have been like, yeah, let's go to an AA meeting. Like, fuck that. Um, but at that moment, I needed that, like, three weeks of trying to quit. I needed to almost die. I needed this. I needed everything to be exactly like it was. I don't even remember my first meeting. I don't remember anything about it. It was March 4th of 2019. Um I remember because my sobriety date is March 5th of 2019. Um, and I don't remember anything from that meeting, but I came every single fucking day for like a year, you know, like I got a sponsor, you know, and I was like, Oh, like I can, if these people, if Joseph can do this and I've, he's fallen off of more roofs than like anybody else I've ever met in my entire fucking life. Like this is the guy who used to, sorry, I'm sorry. Anyways, if Joseph could get sober, I was like, I can get sober, you know? And, uh, I had, uh, like I had bed bugs at the time. Like I was like, I was 40 pounds, I was 40 pounds underweight. Uh, I'm 170 now. I think I was 130 um, when I started coming here and I'm almost six foot tall. Like I was way too skinny. It was scary. I didn't eat, you know, like uh, in Bill's story when he says I couldn't eat anything, you know, until I've had this many beers, you know, like for me, I couldn't eat anything until about 8 p.m. at night. Um, And I had had you know, enough alcohol that I could eat again. So I'd have like one meal a day. Um, and I was taking so many amphetamines, uh, 
I just didn't want to eat. And so I was fucking, I, I looked gross. I see pictures, um, from that time. And I was like, man, that's fucking not cool. Um, but yeah. And so I came in and, uh, I, I kept coming. I didn't have a car anymore. Um, which I mean, honestly is, uh, was a gift at the time. Um, I had gotten enough money after the settlement from the drunk driving accident that I eventually did buy a car. Um, and anybody who's seen my car, it's super cute. It's like 30 years old and I fucking love it. Um, but at the time I didn't have a car. And so sometimes I would take like an hour and a half in buses, maybe more sometimes just to get over here. Sometimes I would do that, you know, three times a day. I would just, um, I had twisted my knee at work, um, the first like two weeks I had gotten sober. Uh, so I didn't work at the time. So I read through the entire fucking big book. I was like laid up in bed and I was, I was like obsessively, like, this is, I was looking at this book and I was like, this is my fucking savior. Like, this right here is the only thing other than alcohol that can be a solution for me. And I don't know why that was such a strong feeling for me. I'm very, very lucky that that's how it was for me. Um, but even then, you know, like, I didn't have a car. I would, I would sometimes I would going to meetings was the only thing I could do in a day. I would take an hour and a half bus ride here. Sometimes I would sit in the back between meetings, you know, between the noon and the 5.30, I would sit in the back. Um, you know, like I was not, I was shaking, sweating. I had auditory and visual hallucinations. Uh, sometimes this woman was whispering in my ear or like kids were playing in the room or Joseph uh, let me stay at his house and he kind of like babysat me through detox. I had a seizure. Um, it was really, really difficult. Um, but through all of that, I knew somewhere deep inside of me that this was the only fucking option for me. It was either this or death. And like having had the two times where I was faced with that option and choosing to live, um, it, it was something that, uh, I took very seriously because, you know, for me, like if I, relapse like I don't know what I'm gonna relapse on you know like I don't know what I'm gonna do I don't know where I'm gonna end up um and uh it was really difficult you know I I had like I said I had bed bugs and that was even a gift at the time is because I I had to get them out of my apartment um and they were in my room <laughs> like I was dating a guy who brought bed bugs into my room and um fucking gift like I had to, I'm serious I'm serious I'm like ripping shit off of my walls I'm listening to the pink house chronicles I'm listening to people's stories like I'm recording right now I'm fucking like ripping shit off I'm clearing out my closet like I found bottles of booze that I had hid from myself not even hid but like just maybe forgotten about I had enough money at that point that I just like forgot uh, I would come home, I would drink, I would get so drunk, I would like hide it for the morning and just forget it was there and I had more in the kitchen or whatever. Like I found, you know, so many drugs. I found so many drugs in my room. Um, and had I not had bed bugs and had to clear everything out, um, I wouldn't have found all of that, you know. Uh, my neighbor was so happy when I came over to his house with this giant box of like paraphernalia and drugs and alcohol. <laughs> he thought I was like, he's like, you're serious. And I I was like take this and he's like you are my best friend and so like it was it was really uh amazing I ended up Joe's roommates hated me but I just kind of stayed there because it was the only place I felt safe enough in the first like 
month of sobriety, I was fucking babysat, you know? Like, I was a fucking child. I would be curled up on the floor in his bedroom at 3 o'clock in the morning crying. And sometimes I would call, like, 15 people that I met in these rooms, you know? I gathered AA phone numbers. Like, they were fucking fish and I was starving, you know? Like, I... It was, it was something that I clung to very hard. And I think because of what I went through when I was 17 because of how hard my detox was like I there was no question in my mind that this was the only thing that I could think that would save me um and so I got very lucky I was very very gross I sat in this chair um and sweated and cried a lot um every day for a long time um i got sponsors i got a lot of sponsors i kept firing sponsors um <laughs> that's not true i've had four i have i have one now and she's there and she's great um i've had four sponsors um and every single one of them has taught me something new that i didn't know before and every single one of them has given me um very specific gifts um and it's very cool how i can look at that and see how that's worked in my life. Um, I love the big book. I think it used to bother me. And then my last sponsor was like, you got to look at it as historical literature. I'm a, like, if you're going to get hung up on fucking words, like you're not going to get this. And I was like, Oh, that clicked. Like that made sense to me. I didn't stop changing all the fucking pronouns and shit. And I just like read the fucking book. And I was like, this is great. Like this is really, there's so much that's poetic in the big book. And, um, I still, I still love it. Um, one thing I want to say is I got really dry in sobriety as well. I hit like a year and a half and I stopped going to meetings, uh, during the pandemic. I wanted to kill myself. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to do drugs, but I wanted to die. Um, I watched all of true blood and fantasized about, um, <laughs> take, taking my own life, you know? And uh, I hit a point where I drove my 30-year-old car out to California and back. And I was like, oh, I, I kept thinking about driving my car off the road. And I basically just cried the whole fucking time. And uh, I got back and I was like, I can't do this. So I started doing like backyard meetings and stuff with people. And uh, that really saved me for a long time. And then everything kind of opened up again. But that scared me enough in sobriety, knowing that I could get... Uh, to just as bad of a place in sobriety that I could drinking and using. And so I, I mean, it's not, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for me to come back in. Um, I had to really force myself to go to meetings, but once I found another sponsor, um, the one who taught me the, the beauty in the big book, um, I felt so much relief um, and every time I do the steps, I get a little bit more honest, you know, <laughs> and I get like a little bit more open and, uh, every time it feels better. Um, so I just, I just feel really lucky, you know, there's, there's a lot to this, you know, in, in, uh, we agnostics, it talks about how like we have been worshipers of various things, you know, like a flower, a sunset, all of that stuff. That paragraph is so fucking poignant to me like I look at that and I'm like yeah like I fucking worshipped everything like I worshipped people I worshipped art I worshipped fucking traveling um like why can't I just pray and so I started praying you know and uh that's been really amazing for me um prayer and meditation it's something I don't notice until I forget to do it 
Uh, and I'm like snapping at people and I'm like, oh, maybe I should fucking pray and meditate like the book says. Um, and uh, sponsoring people, um, answering the phone if somebody calls has been really important to me. Um, if I'm feeling bad, sometimes I call another alcoholic and ask how they're doing and that fucking helps too. Within like 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, okay. My problems are chill, you know? Like my problem today, and I'm, you know, like I'm not on medication anymore. Um, it turns out I'm not uh, fucking, I'm not bipolar. Um, I'm just an alcoholic who abused drugs and alcohol to a point that put me into like psychosis. Um, I feel really grateful you know and uh there's on page 84 the 10 step promises were really really important to me and it's one of my favorite fucking paragraphs and uh it says and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol for by this time sanity will have returned we will seldom be interested in liquor if tempted we recoil from it as if from a hot flame we react sanely and normally and we will find that this has happened automatically we will see that our new attitude toward liquor had been given us without any thought or effort on our part it just comes that is the miracle of it we are not fighting it neither are we avoiding temptation we feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality safe and protected we have not even sworn off instead the problem has been removed it does not exist for us we are neither cocky nor are we afraid that is our experience that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition and uh, that conditional promise that's like as long as i do this shit i'm gonna be sane i'm gonna be normal i'm gonna i'm gonna be able to like respond rather than react to situations uh life doesn't change but like how i respond to life changed a lot um and then this the 11 step promises are really important to me as well you know the part where it says we relax and take it easy we don't struggle um we're somebody who used to fight everything and everyone and i struggled all the fucking time um i find that when i do these steps um you know sometimes i feel like i'm stuck but uh most of the time i feel like i'm in a place of neutrality you know like this week has been really difficult um i've been feeling a lot of emotions i've been really stressed out um but not once was i like fuck i need a drink you know there's not been one time this week that i was like Man, I, I wish I could fucking smoke some weed or, you know, do some heroin. Well, not like anybody can do heroin casually, but um, uh, not anybody I know. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, like the worst has been I'm stressed out and I'm talking to my sponsor and I'm talking to my friends and I, I don't feel like writing yet, but that'll come too, you know. Um, and that's pretty chill that my my problems today are oh fuck i'm like 200 dollars short on rent you know but i'm doing art full time um that is it's my obsession it's my it's everything to me like i i get to be i got to work in the film industry for 12 years and then this year i get to change my career and focus on photography um and i get to do that because of this program when i was drinking and using I was working in a movie theater. Um, I was waiting tables. I was fucking miserable. And because I do, I, I strongly believe that like my higher power has placed me in this situation where I have the opportunity to do the thing that <laughs> fulfills me creatively and it makes me feel like a whole person. And that can always change. But right now I'm so deliriously happy with my life. Um, my biggest problem is how do I date like a normal person, you know? It's not 
uh, what am I going to do about these bed bugs or what is my meth head roommate going to steal from me next? You know, like my problems today are so fucking chill. It's not even funny. Um, it almost just telling my story has been a really eye opening for me because I forget that that's where I come from too. Um, and that's, that's really beautiful. And it's something that working with sponsees, um, that is something that gives my life so much meaning because I forget so fast um, how hard life was before. And I'm like, man, this is tough. Like, oh, I really don't, I don't want to call this client. Like, I don't want to do this music video. You know, it's like, what a fucking problem to have. That's amazing. Um, and I'm just really stoked. I think, uh, I think that when I do this program, honestly, like I'm given so much, not, not in material things, but I have more moments of peace today than I have moments of chaos. Um, and somebody who grew up in chaos and I know how to, I know how to respond calmly in shit. Like I know how to do these things. Like, you know, like I know what to do with my mom's overdosing, you know, like that kind of stuff, that kind of chaos. Like I don't have that today, you know, and that's really amazing. My step one, I know I'm a fucking alcoholic and even in sobriety, my life can become unmanageable. It's, it's important for me to remember that, you know, I did come to believe that power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. At first that was the muse and the source of inspiration. And that's, I knew that was a feeling bigger than myself. And that's what I prayed to. Um, step three at the beginning was, am I going to do the rest of the fucking steps? Um, that's as simple as it needed to be for me. Uh, I did step four. I did step five. I admitted to God. I admitted, you know, I did the thing where I admitted my wrongs. Um, you know, step six, I mean, yeah, dude, like as somebody who wants to be a good person deep intrinsically, like I have this desire to be good. I don't want to be a piece of shit. I never have been. I just resigned to it. But as somebody who deeply wants to be good, yeah, I want God to remove all my defects of character, you know? Um, seven, yeah, please, please take my shortcomings. Like, I'm real fucking sick of them sometimes, you know? Um, I did step eight. I made the list of people I harmed. I did step nine. There's one I'm still, after three and a half years, I'm still kind of sitting on. Um, but you know, every time I'm still doing step nine, step 10, um, sometimes it takes me a day or two, but my tolerance for pain gets shorter and shorter. I can do maybe a week of sitting in it. And then I'm like, all right, like I'm going to take the personal inventory. I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. I'm going to make amends. Uh, step 11 is something that has become so fucking important in my life, you know, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. Like that is so important to me. And, um, I don't know if I've had a spiritual awakening. I guess I'm responding to situations differently. Um, I pause when agitated or doubtful. I pray. So I guess maybe, um, and I try to carry the message to alcoholics and I try to practice these principles in all my affairs. I do like that. It's just practice, right? Like I'm not fucking perfect. Like I, um, I practice, I practice, I practice, I practice, and hopefully um, I will have the opportunity to keep practicing uh, one day at a time. There's something that Bob Flynn says that um, got me through some really hard times. He says, even if you want to drink, you don't have to. Um, and that's 
so important for me is like, even if I want to, I don't have to. I've never, I have not been stuck since starting the program. I have a way out. I have actions I can take to give me relief. It's just a matter of, am I going to do them? Um, and so far the answer has been yes more times than it's been no. And uh, I really appreciate you all sitting here. I appreciate everybody being here. Um, I, I just, I really, not to be annoying with gratitude, but like it, this meeting in Bolden would not be what it is if people did not show up. Uh, and that saved my life. Um, and that's all I have to say. Um, thank you guys so much. Thank you.